Let's pray together. Jesus, you are so worthy to be praised at all times by happy voices, O Son of God, Lord of heaven and earth. You are worthy, 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 Lord. You are so glorious. We pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts and our minds. Come, Lord, and fill my words and open the scriptures that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. I read about an event that happened a number of years ago in which a submarine was being tested and had to remain submerged for many hours. When it returned to the harbor, the captain was asked, how did last night's horrible storm affect you? The captain was surprised. He said, storm? I didn't know there was a storm. See, the submarine was down far enough below the surface that it had reached a place known as the cushion of the sea. Although the ocean above was being whipped into a frenzy by the winds and the waves were crashing, if you're beneath the cushion, the water isn't even stirred. Cushioned by the sea, the submarine was protected from the storm raging above. As we come to our gospel text this morning, the storm is raging. It has been raging for days over the hearts of the disciples. We're in John 20 of our His Story preaching series, and uh, everything's in chaos in every sense of the word. It's the evening of the first Easter day, and think about what's happened over the past week that the disciples have been through. They've come into Jerusalem with Jesus being hailed as Messiah, the day we call Palm Sunday, Hosanna to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Welcome to you, King, Messiah, Jesus. And within days, they begin to see things shift They experienced with him the beauty and the wonder of his humble love at that last supper as he got down and washed their feet. And then as he took the bread and the wine and he broke that bread and wine, he made a new covenant, a new covenant in the midst of the Passover feast, a new covenant that would be enacted through the death of a lamb, though not the death of an animal, the death of the lamb who is from God himself. Of course, within hours of that, they all betrayed him. They abandoned him. They denied even knowing him, and they watched as he was unjustly tried and brutally beaten and mercilessly crucified between two thieves. There's a chaos all around them. And now it's Easter day. They've seen his body in the tomb. They've been waiting for the Sabbath to be over. And they have a report from the women of an appearance of angels and the stone rolled away. And the words, he is not here, he is risen. Mary Magdalene herself has had an encounter with him. John and Peter have run to the tomb and witnessed that all is as the women had said it was. The two disciples on the Emmaus Road have returned declaring that they just had the best Bible study ever with Jesus. There's a lot of chaos. There's a storm going on all around them and within them. 
think about it, it's shock, it's grief, it's sorrow, it's anxiety, it's shame, it's guilt. And above all else, it's fear, because none of it makes any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. And that's where our text picks up in John 20, verse 19. If you want to follow along, we'll look at these verses. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Jesus is saying, why are you worrying about the waves? Why are you shocked by the storm? Why are you caught up in all the chaos? Why are you fretting over your fears? See, hiding from your problems never solves them. And you can be behind a locked door and still be afraid. And the wonderful thing is you can be behind a locked door and it's not enough to keep the Savior out. Because there he is. And his first words to them were, peace be with you. Peace be with you. That's his first words to the gathered church. His first words were not, you have gone too far. There's no hope for you. His first words were not, you've done it this time. His first words were not, how dare you? Why did you? Why didn't you? You could have shame on you. Those are not the first words of our Lord to his gathered church. His first words to them are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Verse 20 says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And what's he doing? He's giving them proof. He's giving them proof that it was really him, that he was really alive. They weren't seeing a ghost. This is not spooky Jesus. Although they were definitely startled by his appearing. This is not a disembodied spirit. This is the resurrected Lord whom they saw crucified brutally just days before. This is no mass hallucination. He really died. He really is alive. It really is Him. And the reason you can say that is our faith is based on fact. Historical fact. This is not a myth. This is not made up by the church many years later. This is the reporting of what happened on that first Easter by those who were there and saw it occur. His physical body is really alive. Is there mystery? Yeah, you think? There's a lot of mystery to it. His physical body is alive, and yet it's different. He can appear and disappear. He can keep people from understanding or seeing who he is. He seems to be able to get through locked doors. He can come and go, but it's him. And he's giving them and he's giving us and he's giving everyone who comes to the scriptures and to the story and to the reality of who Jesus is, who come in faith. He's giving us proof upon which to base our faith. He told them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will rise from the dead. The resurrection is the proof. And because it's true, you can believe all the rest that he said too. The whole book, even the parts that you're confused by, you can rest in the fact that the resurrection means It's all going to work out the way he says that it will. 
to the sinful woman, he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. To the church, a few weeks later, and we'll get to this soon, he says, receive the power of my Holy Spirit so that you might be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. I have something for you that will make you live and be my people in the world. And to those who face sickness and death, the resurrection is the proof that death is not the end. Listen to what the Apostle Paul will later say. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Death is not the last word for a Christian. The resurrection of Jesus has swallowed death up in his victory. Hallelujah. There's this amazing scene at the end of J.R.R. Tolkien's book, The Return of the King, at the end of the series from The Lord of the Rings. It comes after the final battle. The ring of power has been unmade. The evil Lord Sauron has been destroyed. Good has triumphed. And the hobbits, Frodo and Sam, are in the houses of healing. And, and you know, they, they've been through a great trauma. And Frodo wakes up and he sees his dear friend Gandalf right in front of him. The last time he saw Gandalf, Gandalf was dying on his behalf and for him deep in the dark mines of Moria. And this is what Frodo says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Gandalf says, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. Hallelujah, it is. It has begun. Now, think about this. You know, we can so easily blow by the words of Scripture, especially in a text that we maybe have heard many times. Have you ever just sort of sat in that Scripture and thought about the way in which Jesus' words sounded to them that day? Like, how did he speak to them when he said, peace be with you? Do you think it was like the booming voice from on high, peace be with you? Or like a whisper, peace be with you. I tend to think that he was laughing. Joyously awash in the victory that he had achieved. And I, and I think it was like the sound of Gandalf, like music to their ears. It was the greatest, most joyous, most laughingest voice they had ever heard. Because isn't that what happens when a great victory is snatched out of the jaws of defeat? Think about the ways in which, for instance, World War II, we saw our troops come home and the great victory, the relief that evil had been overthrown, that good had vanquished. Think about the child that's born after a difficult 
difficult delivery, the victory that comes, the joy that you cannot help feeling and expressing, which is why I say, and if you're new, that it's okay to smile in this church. Because if at any point in this service, your heart tells you there's some joy going on, then let your face know about it and let it out. There is joy in the voice of Jesus. Everything sad is becoming untrue. And his first words, and if this is your first time hearing this, his first words to you are relax, peace be with you. It is well. Peace, peace, peace be with you. Joy is contagious, isn't it? Like, it's really hard, although I know a few church people who try. It's really hard in the face of the joy of the Lord that's being offered to sit there with a, a hunched up arms and a frown, unless, you know, you're having stomach cramps today or something. The joy of Jesus is never forced upon us, but it is freely offered, and it comes with the offer of his peace the offer of his friendship, the offer of his life and his love. The joy of Jesus is available. And your heart may be touched by it even today, even this morning, even in the midst of places of grief and confusion, the joy of Jesus can come near and make things different and make things new. Now let me just say a little bit about what he meant when he said peace. Peace be with you. He he didn't speak English, by the way. Uh, So it wasn't actually peace be with you. It was shalom alakim. Shalom, peace be with you. That's how the English translators bring about that phrase. But shalom is more than just what most of us pray for, like make the problem stop. It's so much deeper than that. Shalom, the shalom of God. It doesn't just mean peace. It means fullness and well-being and completion and wholeness and restoration and blessing and prosperity and healing. The very life of God and the presence of God and the goodness of God manifests among the people of God. Shalom. The old covenant the old covenant that God had given. And we've looked at this for many months since last fall that he gave to his chosen people. The old covenant, though, was a covenant that you had to merit and live into by your own works. You had to strive for and and you had to show that you were right. And when you knew that you weren't right and whoever is right on their own, no one, you had to offer an animal in sacrifice, the blood taking your place. And then you hoped by God Messiah would come at some point along the way. Jesus has said, I've given a new covenant. It's a covenant in my blood. I am the Lamb of God. I am the Passover Lamb. I am the one who has been broken and given and offered as sacrifice vicariously in the presence and for all those who trust in me. It is a new covenant in his blood, and we will celebrate that here this morning. Peace be with you. Peace is yours. Shalom. It's come. It's finished. Jesus did it. You can rest in him. You don't have to strive. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. You can be assured you are now sons and daughters because of what the Son of God has done for you. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. But you've got to receive it, just like joy, it won't be forced on you. Peace will not be forced on you. Salvation will not be forced on you. It is gift, or it is not grace. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Toward the end of C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan, the Lion, representing Jesus, goes in with his followers into the witch's castle and there are all these statues of, of people and animals and dwarves who have been turned to stone because of the witch's curse upon their lives. And Aslan's followers have no idea how in the world he can fix this. And he doesn't even bat an eye. He simply goes to each statue and he bows down and he breathes on them. And suddenly what happens is the stone begins to ripple and color comes back. And suddenly the statues are now living beings. And there's joy and there's dancing. It's C.S. Lewis's rendition of this verse in John 20. As Jesus breathes the Spirit upon them and life comes Do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you alive? Has life come into you because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and he has breathed his spirit upon you? You go, I don't know. Well, do you know if you're physically alive? She knows. Pinch somebody near you gently. That'll let them know they're alive. Just as you know that you are physically breathing and alive, just as you know that you are a sentient being, so also you will know if you are alive and have the Holy Spirit within you. And the the crazy thing is that there are people who perhaps were baptized as infants based in the faith of their parents, maybe even made a declaration at the age of 12 or 14 that they really believed this stuff and yet have sat all these years not knowing, many, many years not knowing, am I really alive? You can know you're alive, just ask him. Do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord and raised from the dead? You're alive. You can't believe that lest the Holy Spirit has come into you. And if your heart is pounding desperate to believe that, to believe maybe the promises of your baptism, then just say, I want to be alive. Lord, make me new. Give me life. Forgive me, Jesus. I am yours. I am sorry. I need your life. And it may be that for some of you, you've been alive a long time, but you've been asleep along the way because the enemy has stolen away your birthright or some church along the way told you, oh, that's for the fanatics. No, this is New Testament, New Covenant Christianity. You are alive when the Spirit of God comes in you. Are you alive? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now we're going to get into the whole sending out and the power of the Spirit that comes on Pentecost in a few weeks. So I'm not going to go too far down that road. But I want to. Some of you know me. I want to say something for the Christians in our midst. You've been walking with the Lord. How do you maintain this peace be with you? This peace that is offered to you. And and I want to point to two things, and there are probably others, but I really want to focus on two things today. The first is this. 
when you slip. Remember, if you were here at Easter, I talked about the fact that you're no longer Mr. Mr. Disobedience. You're now Mr. Mr. Obedience because of Jesus who lives in you, the desire of your heart to follow the Lord. Like that's natural, and you've you got to take your sin pants off. Anybody remember sin pants? Okay. So if you weren't here, you could go watch that video on the website. But when you found out you put the sin pants on and you're taking them back off again, when you recognize, oh, I fell back into that thing that I hate and yet I've done it again in the words of the theologian Britney Spears, oops, I did it again. (laughs) When you find yourself back in that place, you need to know what to do because Satan will condemn you. I try to steal away your birthright and try to get you not to come to church and to stay away from your life group and not to say your prayers because he wants you to go back under the old covenant and under a place of condemnation. You must come back to the wounds of Jesus. You must come back to the wounds of Jesus. The text says he showed them his hands and his side and they were glad. They knew it was him. The wounds of Jesus are the place where your forgiveness is. It was settled on the cross. But there is a need in our hearts to come back before him in our prayer in a time like this as we come to the table when we confess our sins and to simply come back to the wounds of Jesus. Do you know that Martin Luther, the great reformer's spiritual director, his name was von Staupitz, he said to Luther, Go to the wounds. Go to the wounds. Go to the wounds of Jesus. And by that, he didn't mean that Jesus would be sacrificed again over and over. No, a one-time sacrifice. But in your heart and before the Lord, you allow yourself to see in your mind's eye, to believe with your heart that the wounds of Jesus, the pierced hands, the pierced feet, the crown of thorns, the broken heart was enough. And it cleanses you. You are cleansed. You are free. Come back to the wounds. And simply allow the truth to resettle in your heart, to settle you again, to take the condemnation away. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. You are free. Come back to the wounds. Come back to the wounds of Jesus. And... And you have to set your mind on Christ. Set your heart on Christ. Set your life on Christ. This is not strive again. It's not you're saved by grace and now you strive again. But you do have to engage. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this. God will keep in perfect peace all those whose thoughts are fixed on him. The NIV says, God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast. Right here is where the battle goes on in your life. Where the enemy seeks to take away that which you believe and you know is true. And if your mind is not stayed, fixed, leaning upon, resting in God and in his promises, then you get taken out all over the place and peace leaves you. So let's see how this applies, and let's think about our lives in these most recent years. If you're filling your mind over and over and over with more of Fox News or CNN or BuzzFeed or you pick your news service, 
then you are the word of God. You probably have no peace. Because what do they major in? All the bad news of the world. All that's wrong in the world. All that's lacking in the world. All that's wrong with the church. All that's missing in this broken world. No kidding. And we are being discipled more by the news services than we are by the word of God. And we wonder why we're immature in our faith and our, and our church just, and I mean macro church, like is showing its sin pants over and over again. It's because we don't live near the wounds and we don't have that power that he promises and we don't fix our minds upon Jesus and upon his word. If this is the place alone where you are feeding on the word of God, you're going to be hungry by tomorrow. I'll give you a good meal. I'll do my best. I'm going to lay out some eggs and pancakes and a big old feast of the word of God as you pray for me and God is good to all of us. But if this is your only meal, come Thursday, you're going to be parched. You're going to be desperate. If you're walking it alone and trying to do life by yourself without other Christians around you who are knowing you, who you can confess to, who know your darkness and love you anyway... You'll be like a coal that's been taken out of the fire and set aside and you begin to grow cold. And you begin to lose your fire and the heat escapes. We need each other. We need the presence of God. We need to spend time with the Lord and we need his word in us. That's what it is to fix our minds. And he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast who focus and lean upon and love and live in his word and the community of worship and the intimacy of fellow travelers and the power of his spirit. Hallelujah. So think about your life for a minute. Are you spending more time finding joy from cat videos? And memes and Instagram and like I I like cat videos. I'm confessing dogs, cats, whatever, cute babies. If that's your source of joy, it's not going to be enough and you're going to get hooked on the endorphins you need from that hit off social media. But if you come to the joy of Jesus that flows from the wounds of Jesus that is a result of the shalom of your God, you can live in peace. When he looks at you, he looks with eyes of love. There's no shame in his eyes toward you. That's peace. It's joy. It's come on. You're home. Rest in my love. Know my delight. You are pleasing just as you are. Just as you are. Just be still. And know that he is God. He loves you. His peace, shalom, is for you. Let's pray. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for Easter. Thank you for loving us in such a powerful way. And Lord, we know that there are things that are hurting in our lives. You never promised there wouldn't be problems. You said in this world you will have tribulations, but be not afraid, I have overcome the world. And Lord, we've got real problems and real issues and real sorrows and real difficulties and bodies that are dealing with sickness and hurts and hearts that are broken and sin that is flaring and addictions that are strong. And so we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you, Holy Spirit. 
We come to the wounds of Jesus. We come to the resurrected Lord. And we bring you these things, these sorrows of our lives, and we ask you to enter into them, either to deliver us from them or to make us strong within them, that the world might know there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. May your name be glorified in us today. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.